For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dirt Talk Podcast Monday edition. I'm your host, Aaron Witt, on a mission to make the dirt world a better place, joined by my co-host, Alex Horton. Hey, y'all. Coming to you today from the Dirt Talk Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. Build with HQ, what up? Build with HQ. It, every single podcast we do, the studio feels better and better and better. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're. I'm. I'm getting a little bit better at sort of the the, the technical aspects of, you know, w- what we need to make it a, a good piece. Um, yeah. We're going to be recording our first remote podcast in here mm-hmm. this week. Cool. Um, <clears throat> which between now and then I will have solved all the problems. I've solved it all now. I have to put it together now, but like that's happening. I mean, things are, things are good in here. Well, and we, so we, we, uh, we had our first in-person podcast in here with a guest, mm-hmm. Mr. Dylan Taylor. We put it on YouTube. Yeah. So now it's, it's in video format. It's out there in the world, man, which is pretty wild. And I, that's the first like thing I've ever, let me let me say, I technically did edit that video. However, um, I basically was watching like tutorials on YouTube as I was going through it. That's the way to do it. You know, we got to start somewhere. And um, one of our one of our guys, Dallas, he did some like killer animations and sent those to me, and um, it makes it look like a pretty fancy thing, which my part of it was not. But that helps lipstick on a pig. Oh man, and let me tell you. Some very talented people here at BuildWit that make plenty of us look awesome. It, I am the biggest beneficiary of that. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. 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 Everybody asks, like, oh, how man. do you do it? I'm like, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of smart people yeah. <laughs> helping me with everything now. It's like the, the number one like thing we ask. It's like, hey, hire a good person. And then um, fingers crossed, they're also really, really good at the thing we need them to uh-huh. do. Yeah. Yeah, no, we have we have great folks, and um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to finally have the podcast on on video. Yep, uh, we had Dylan Taylor in. I was coming off of Vegas for one night, so I was a little out of it that morning. Um, but back back in Tennessee for five days until I started traveling. Again. Wow, yeah, big That's big stretch here. Pretty long run here in town. <laughs> it's. It makes me feel a little sad inside, but I actually told myself, like, wow, I have five days at home. That's awesome. Like, that's a that's a lot of days at home. And then I thought about it. I'm like, oh, no. Like, that's that's where we're at. 
five days at home. That's exciting. Like, wow. <laughs> I think I need a break because <laughs> I, I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. See, I'm like the opposite where it's like, you know, you and I went on the road for basically one night, two like pretty long days. Mm-hmm. And when I got back, I'm like, man, do I need to take a half day <laughs> just to like get my brain back on? Well, fortunately, so it's October now. We have our winter break in December. Mm-hmm. And... I only have, shoot, no, I have two weeks to travel in December. So I try not to travel in December. Yeah. But I have to travel for the first week and then I'm going to go to Arizona, which technically isn't travel. Well, you don't live there. So it's yeah. at least a little travel. Yeah. But I'm still not in my bed, yeah. which isn't ideal. Um, and then our company, we take two weeks off uh, around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Just to shut the company down for two weeks, which was clutch last year. I mean, I, f- I feel like we were just like, like riding a uh, riding a bull, yeah. Just like woo, yeah. And so by the time we got there, I think that was like really healthy for everybody. It is, and if any business owners are listening to this, probably some of the best money we spend as a company. Sure, it's very substantial. Like this year, it'll be yeah. safely a six figure investment to make happen. But in in just payroll, obviously, yeah. um, but. Uh, it's if if you establish expectations up front, and that's what I did last year, and that's what I'm gonna do again this year. Listen, guys, hey, we are taking the two, and, and, and I'll have this conversation with everybody, you know, next week. So mm-hmm. two months prior, we're taking those two weeks off. One, plan accordingly. Two, we're gonna go 110 miles per hour, 100 miles per hour into that break. There's no slowing down. There's no nonsense. There's no. There's no. Like there's just no room for error. We're gonna we're gonna run into that thing, and then we're gonna take two weeks completely off. Take it off. Set those expectations to everyone we work with. Hey, we're not working these two weeks. I don't care what you need. Not happening. And then coming out of the two weeks, everybody is a hundred miles an hour again. There's no oh how are your holidays and taking three days to get back into the groove and this and that. None of that bullshit. You just had two weeks off. Let's go get back after it. And that first week back this earlier this year was probably our most intense week ever. I mean, I think just from a, what, yeah, what we do and we were trying to do, I mean, that was a pretty special week. Yeah. Everyone's just like, let's go. We're, we were getting after it, but, but it's nice to just give people two weeks with their family. Um, I, you know, early on in business, I learned nothing happens in those two weeks. Yeah. It's a waste. So it is a total waste. It's a total joke. Um, having to show up for those two weeks. No one is really there. Everybody's on vacation anyway, so you can't get anything back from anybody. You're you're checked out mentally. You're fried from the year. So I was just like, you know what? Screw this. Let's just take two weeks off and actually utilize it for something of value, mm-hmm. which is just creating space, taking time for everybody, spending time with family around the holidays. I, it, it's just, at least, it's it's been a no-brainer so far. Well, I think what also was really helpful just for us as a company was I think a lot of companies that are not us sort of treat the whole month of December sort of as like a light kind of let's just get to the holidays, get some of these little outstanding things. And we're like, how about we just go pedal the metal for those first two weeks that end up serving us really, really well because we can get some of our ducks in a row that we maybe like had to put on the back burner in order to, you know, serve these other ends. And so like when we get to that like two-week break, 
we all feel like very buttoned up, very like in order so that when we come back, you know, at the beginning of the new year, we're like, let's hit it. Yeah. We're, we're doing, we're doing a month's worth of work in those first two weeks anyway. Yeah. Except <laughs> somehow it's like a lot easier because we're like driving the, here's how much we want to get done. Here's how we want to get it done. You know, I just like, even if we're still like doing the things we're doing, it's not like we're necessarily like starting big brand new projects. It, it, I don't know. It just didn't feel that way last year and maybe it will this year, but I mean, it's a much bigger group this year than last, yeah. but I, I, I'm not all that worried about it at the same time. Yeah. And, and I've just learned in business too. If, if you don't dictate terms, you are going to be dictated to. So if you don't if you don't dictate, hey, we take those two weeks off, you're not going to get the two weeks off with everybody else. Yeah. There'd be, and and I try to be, you know, if we're going to make this investment in our people, I also try to tee it up as something very intentional with everybody is, hey, you're getting two weeks off. Don't take it for granted. Really be intentional about how you spend that time. Don't just sit on your ass for two weeks. If that's being intentional, if that's really what you need, cool. Sure. Go sit on your ass. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But also, like, take it as a gift. Really spend time with your family. Really do the things you've put off that entire year. Really read the pile of books sitting on your, your, your desk that you haven't gotten around to, but you've been dying to read. Like, that's the kind of stuff we need to do because that, 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 that builds up. It's basically an investment in human capital. So if we can go create value in our people's lives and make them more valuable by giving them space to do other things, and two weeks is enough time to do that. Yeah. A week is not enough, I've found. Two weeks. You really need two weeks. Mm -hmm. Then they, they become more valuable human beings, which makes them more valuable for our business. So it's not just us throwing away money. It's actually us investing in our business, investing in our people, and we actually see a return on investment. I don't know if I could ever pencil that out, but I genuinely believe if we tee it up right, set the right expectations, we see a significant return on investment. Yeah. So that's uh, our policy on Christmas break. Yeah, a lot of people have asked. No, no one's asked about our no Christmas break policy. No one's asked. But I, uh, it is unique. I, I haven't found a lot of companies that do it. Well, I also think like us talking about that stuff for just a second here um, does like say something about our business. It does. And uh, you know, when I talk to contractors about it, they always say, well, we're a contractor. We can't do that. But I've thought about that too. I'm like, but can you? I, like, I, like, could, I don't could know. Could you plan for that? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm asking a question, not like. I don't know. Like if you told everybody, if you have, you know, starting on November 1st, you have eight weeks of work to do. The customer they just want eight weeks of work done. They don't care how it gets done. So if you sit everybody down on November 1st and say, hey, guys, if here's everything we need to do in the next eight weeks. If we can knock this shit out in six weeks, we can take the last two weeks off. And, and you go, you confirm that, hey, if we do all this, you don't care if we're working last two weeks of December or not, right? No, we don't care. We just want it done. Okay, cool. You'd be amazed. I, I'd be willing to bet maybe seven out of 10 times. I don't know if it's nine out of 10 <laughs> times, but more often than not, you could get that work accomplished and all of your people would be down to get the work accomplished if they were getting that time off. Sure. It, 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 but I don't know. I, I'm not a contractor, so. Yeah. Well, it's what 
has clearly worked for our business, you know, and so we'll just keep on rolling. So that's our, yeah, that's our logic behind Christmas break. And the other thing that's good is we are having our, which it feels like we just had our summer whole team meeting here, but mm-hmm. like going into December, we'll have our winter team meeting here yeah. in Nashville. Yeah, we have that um, December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Nashville. Which, that timing, I feel like, is going to be so great to be like, all right, y'all, let's go crush these two weeks, you know, going into like our, you know, shutting the business down for another two weeks. Yeah. It's going to be great. We're going to need to get ahead on podcasts, though. Yeah. I'm, let's say I've got a lot of irons in the fire right now so that I can basically <laughs> go to you <clears throat> and your assistant, Jessica, and be, be like, please, please figure this out from a logistics standpoint between now and the end of the year. And I feel like that's like the only way to do it is I have a lot of stuff for you. Please put all, figure a way to put all this on. Here. Yeah. We're going to need to do a, a BuildWit pod, a Dirt Talk podcast Christmas special. Oh man, this year <laughs> or a holiday special, something. Yeah, we're so we don't that we out. don't trigger people. Yep. Yeah, you just gotta get a, you gotta you know cover your bases. <laughs> oh Lord. Okay. Um, you traveled a little bit last week. I traveled a little bit. Yeah, I uh been trying to spend a little bit more time with family. My mom's moving right now, so I thought I'd go out to Phoenix to help her move. Sure. Um, I the balloon fiesta was going on this past week. It's if you've never been to the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta, put it on your list. It is so much fun. I couldn't believe how close they all are to each other. I mean, they're like it's, directly next to I each mean, other. I mean, balloons are running into each other. <laughs> it's <laughs> it is pandemonium. Total pandemonium. Uh-huh. It's hundreds of balloons. I think this year there was 600 balloons in total, all launching in about two hours. Wow. So it is a Spectacle, and uh, a million people come in for this damn thing. Are these all like hobbyists who just like own a hot air balloon? A lot of it, yeah. I mean, it'll be like sometimes you'll see like a husband and wife with a hot air balloon. Just because like they love doing it. I don't know. Yeah, they take out a second mortgage on their house and go buy a hot air balloon. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> that would actually be a great like question for the listeners. It's like let's take a survey. How much do you think a hot air balloon costs? I, I have no idea. I. I'm sure there you could find them used on the internet. If you told me ten thousand, I'd probably be like, probably. If you told me five hundred thousand dollars, I'd be like, I don't know, probably. It's a lot of fabric. Like I, I don't know. I, I have no, no idea. idea. I have no idea. They they have to be pretty expensive. Um, so we went to that for a day. We just drove out there. Me, my mom, my sister, which was a freaking blast. Mm-hmm. I, God, I just love that event. Um, we visited Emory Sap in Kansas City for a day. We got out and saw a job. They were pulling. They were they were um, spreading topsoil off a stockpile with MTS pans pulled by cat trucks, push loaded by a D10, which was sweet. Wow. Yeah, they were heaping the shit out of these pans. <laughs> I mean, they were heaped. Um, they're running, I think, 34 yard and 42 yard pans. So that was very cool. Yeah, I don't see those all that often. Um, definitely a Midwest thing. Those MTS yeah. pans pulled by pulled by trucks. So that was cool. And then one of Emory Sap's subsidiaries, uh, Aiken Gardner, I saw they had a really cool job going on in, in Phoenix. And so what's, what's happening in Phoenix is the north, the north part of Phoenix, I think it's about 400,000 people. And I looked all this up yesterday while I was on the plane. The north side of Phoenix is fed by the Colorado River. That's where all of the water comes from. 
the south half of Phoenix is fed by the Verde River and the Salt River. So you have the Central Arizona Project and the Salt River Project. So there are two canals. They look the same, but the water comes from different places. Now, back in the day when the Hoover Dam was created and formed Lake Mead, there was negotiations or whatever it was. And it was, it, it, there were certain states and areas that got priority over other states and areas. Okay. If you haven't noticed, Lake Mead is at a record low currently, and it is not projected to go a whole lot further anytime soon. Sure. So at a certain point, Arizona is far enough down on the list where they get cut off from the water. And so that's 400,000 people without water in the middle of the desert. You need to do something about yeah, that. Yeah, not what you want. So City of Phoenix has a $250 million pipeline project going on. And they're, they're taking a, it's a 66-inch force main. So a monster Huge. water. I mean, like water lines, typically, you'll see them mm, 12, 16, 24-inch. You know, 24-inch water line. That's a, there's a lot of water because it's pressurized. Yeah. So there is a lot of, uh, just, there's a lot there. Yeah. And that can deliver a lot of water over 24-hour period. This is a 66-inch main. And it's not... Uh, as you as you increase something in diameter, it, it's an exponential type growth curve. It's not exactly exponential, but it's it's not linear. Mm-hmm. So when you double from sixteen to thirty two, you don't get double the water. You get many, many, many more times the water. So this is a huge line. They're running from a, a very large water treatment plant at Twenty Fourth Street. Many, many miles. They're cutting all the way through some neighborhoods. They're cutting through the entire Phoenix Mountain Preserve, which is crazy. And then they're going up 32nd Street to a pump station to get it to that entire part of, of the town. Uh, Kiwit has a large part of the contract. Kiwit is the construction manager at risk. They bid it to some local firms. Aiken Gardner, uh, who is owned by Emory Sapp, picked up a section of it. So they are laying 66-inch water line. They're digging with a 395. So brand new 395 rented from Empire. Yep. Uh, they needed a big ass excavator because mostly because of the rock. They needed something with ass that could just sit there and just rip and dig and dig and dig. And, dig. Uh, and then the pipe itself is monstrous. So they were laying all the pipe. They were they have trench boxes. It's all welded metal pipe. So you have to weld every single joint outside and inside. So there's a lot of labor there. And then it's all encased in slurry all the way up a foot over pipe, mm-hmm. which is a lot of money. Um, so I went out and saw that, and it was extraordinarily unique. But I think you have, on one job, there's Aiken Gardner, Kiwit, Garney, very large company, Sunt, McCarthy, and maybe one other outfit. So it's a monster job. Wow. Yeah. So that was what I checked out yesterday morning. That was a good history lesson. Infrastructure, man. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't just appear and it doesn't just happen on accident. There's always a reason for why they're building things most of the time. Again, we've got into the whole high-speed stupid rail thing in California. But most of the time, there's good good reason for it. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Got to see some like personal interest, like work stuff. Got to hang with the fam for a minute. Got to see some more construction, like. 
things are going well in the Aaron Witt world. I well, the Aiken Gardner thing was funny because I was not expecting to see that. I just saw a post on LinkedIn that they had a part of the project. And like, I've been following I got a day. along. I'm like, all right, let's let's get out there. And I had no idea they had a 395, so I show up, and sure as shit, there's a 395 sitting in a little neighborhood right next to homes, loading out triaxles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some of the crew on that job were worked for the company I first worked for, Pearson Construction Corporation. No way. On the job I first worked for them on. So that was funny. Like people you recognized? Um, I didn't work directly with these guys, but after we were talking, I was like, oh yeah, I definitely remember you out there. And uh, just, it's kind of funny how that works. That's pretty cool. Nice. Well, we got a couple of good questions this week. Let's dive in. Um, okay, first question. This is from Thomas. I was recently promoted to foreman at an underground mining operation. I've had an issue with the way we do morning safety meetings slash tailgate talks in the beginning of shift. Employees just read off a piece of paper or they just wing it and barely say anything. With your experiences across multiple companies and job sites, what are the best type of safety meetings that you've witnessed to work with employee engagement? Yeah, I think the meetings in which someone just reads off a piece of paper are completely worthless. The most valuable safety meetings I've seen are the ones in which the most people are engaged in and you're actually creating participation within that safety meeting and actual thought within that safety meeting. And it's more so a conversation amongst everybody than a supervisor preaching to craft to satisfy legal and insurance requirements. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm required to read this to you, so listen or not, I don't care. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that doesn't exactly scream safe culture. No, the, I just safety bothers me a little bit because I feel like today it's more so about liability and insurance than it is about actual safety. Mm-hmm. So the. Instead of ranting about that, the best safety meetings I've seen, like I said, have engagement. So I saw one, and I'll give uh, Brett Baker. He's been on the podcast yep, with Rosso. He he. Every time I've I've been around on a safety meeting with him, he he leads really really good safety meetings because he doesn't sit there and say, "Okay, here's everything. Let's go to work." He says, "All right, guys, here's what's going on today. Here's what we need to accomplish. Let's just go around the circle and let's talk about what we need to be looking out for today." And he'll just go around the circle and everybody in that group will have to point out something that they just need to be aware of or look out for or something they saw the day before or whatever it may be. And they have a conversation about it. Everybody's engaged. Everybody's critically thinking about the work. And everybody is uh, coming together as a team. Mm-hmm. And you're building that team dynamic, which I think is extraordinarily valuable. Yeah. And I was very, very impressed when I saw that for the first time. Another time... Um, one that really sticks out to me too is uh, we were with Rommel one morning. They're a contractor in, in Phoenix, big earth moving contractor. And we had a, they, they had a huge scraper spread running for a flood control project. Just, I mean, just tens of thousands of yards a day, all 631s, 657s. It was, it was a badass job. Mm-hmm. So they, they probably had 40 or 50 people on this job. It was sizable. Wow. Yeah. The safety meeting was probably, 30 or 45 minutes. And it was nothing, nothing crazy. The job, it wasn't all that complicated. Mm -hmm. It was just mass excavation. 
in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what's going on out there. <laughs> uh, mass excavation in the middle of nowhere. They, it's same kind of thing over and over and over. So it wasn't like the workflow was all that different than the day before the day that that's going to come after. And yet they just sat there and had a very meaningful, thoughtful conversation. And that goes a long way to saying, I really care as a, a supervisor, for example, is if you really just have a conversation and allow other people to, to come up with, with what's going on and come up, come up with other people, come up with the plan. This is what we talked to Jocko about. This mm -hmm. is on build it leaders is allowing other people to, okay, Hey, here's the work we have to do. How would you guys make sure we, we do this? And then what are the things we need to be thinking about from a safety concern and, and facilitate it from a supervisor perspective, but put it back on the people actually doing the work. I think you're going to get a much more meaningful conversation and you're going to have a much safer workforce than uh, if you just preach from a piece of paper. And I think people, they want to be part of a community. They want to look out for one another. They want to be part of a tribe. Mm -hmm. So if you tap into that from a safety standpoint and build that community, build that common sense of respect and team teamwork uh, throughout the team, and your safety meeting is probably your best chance at that from an operator standpoint because those guys, they get in their cabs and they're in their cabs the next 10, 12 hours. They're not working directly with one another. That's your best opportunity to create that cohesion. And if you have that cohesion, people are looking out for one, one another and you actually have a really safe, productive place, place to work. To me, like what makes sense from a, a safety perspective is the approach of instead of saying, I'm going to be safe so that I'm, I'm going to practice like safe practices and, you know, really focus on that. I'm not going to focus on that to keep just me safe. I'm focusing on that to like keep my team safe. That's what it's about. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I think like that's, I, th I think if like I'm listening to somebody just read me a piece of paper about like, here's today's safety tip of the day or whatever, I think I'm more likely to just be like, okay, that's, so this is what I need to do. It, as opposed to if I'm in, engaged in a conversation and like feel that I'm, not just in that conversation, but in the, like the process and the approach and attack way of attack that we're going to, you know, work on this job today. I think the more likely that I'm thinking, you know, what, what does my role have to do with, you know, keeping my team safe and in order for us to, you know, complete the thing we're wanting to complete. Yeah. I, I don't think you can have safety if everybody's just out for themselves. I, I would, I would have been seriously injured many times over if I didn't have people watching out for me Yeah, and saying, I just saw you doing that. Don't do that again. Here's why. It's very clear. And if they, they weren't teaching me and caring for me and looking out for me, I would have been put in very hazardous positions many, many times over. I, I just, I don't know. Or in safety meetings, this is another good example. When we're out there, we're clearly a hazard. Or a potential hazard. Potential hazard. We're not a hazard. We're a potential hazard. And we're, we're oftentimes a topic at every safety meeting we're a part of when we go out to job sites. Sure. The, the, the times in which I feel the most safe and I'm most impressed with the culture and the safety culture are when whoever's leading that safety meeting says, hey, guys, just so you know, you know, we have built it out this morning. It's these guys right here. Hey, Aaron, 
can you can you address the group? Can you talk about what you guys are going to be doing today and what to look out for so everybody's aware? They invite me into the safety conversation. And because I'm the most informed one there on what we're going to be doing, I can speak to it very clearly and say, hey, let's just make sure we're going to be out on the ground here, here, here. We're going to be looking for you guys. If you wouldn't mind looking for us, we're not going to put ourselves in any weird situations, but just be on the lookout. We'll maintain radio contact with you guys. If you see us doing something, please let us know. I have a radio here. I'll make sure what channel are you guys on? Okay, good. We're on the same channel. If we have that kind of dialogue, I think everybody's a hell of a lot more comfortable than if that person says, hey, build it out here and this is what they're going to be doing. Look out for them. Okay, check. It's like... It would be easy to just like never think about that ever. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I guess those are my thoughts on safety. Yeah. I think that's really valuable and really interesting. And, uh, I mean, a safety conversation doesn't always have to be just slips, trips, and falls. Like, apply some creativity to it, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it doesn't always just have to be business. Like, I, again, creating a team, a cohesive team, that's a safe place to be a lot of times. So how can you create cohesion? How can we also talk about what the hell we just did over the weekend? You know, or, or um, talk about a leadership topic. Maybe, maybe something like that. Or, or recognize someone for kicking ass the day before. Hey, you guys, man, this individual really went out above and beyond. And I, I really appreciate that. A safety meeting is a lot more than an opportunity to just talk about slips, trips, and falls. So treat it as such and, and actually think about every, every chance you have to address the group as a supervisor because that's a chance to create the team you need to go kick ass out yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a, a daily standup, you know, like a, a lot of more like office-based companies where it's like just so everybody kind of knows what they're working on, um, what role that task plays in, in the broader goal of the team. And like that to me, like that's what the like, you know, the tailgate talk is or or, or could be, I should say, should be. It's just like a, a time for everybody to kind of maybe personally connect. But I, I mean, like, from like, here's our tasks, here's all our roles today, here's why why they go together, here's how they go together, and here's why like safety is part of that. I, <clears throat> I guess that makes me think of another thing too that we work with a, a mining company and they share near misses and incidents throughout the, the organization. Yeah. So they'll have, they'll have it posted in their offices and they'll discuss if, if a mine has a near miss over in, you know, five states over, They'll discuss it at the other mines across across the the um, across the Organization, country. Yeah. yeah, so it's 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 leveraging. You know, if, if it's just making sure there's that communication too. Whereas if you're at a, a large company, or uh, it, you know, he said he's at an underground mine, so just keep keep up to date on on MSHA incidents. They're published. They're they're public knowledge. Take advantage of those and use those to to talk about once a week. And it it sucks. They happen. Those accidents they're that are there, or else it, it they happen or else they wouldn't be there. Yeah. So leverage those to teach your people before it's your company as well. And have a conversation about those. I see that a lot. And I think that's a good That's a great point about the the M Shaw. Um like they're all there. It's it's there for a reason, you know, and like find a way that it makes sense for for you guys. That's why I was that's why I'm so diligent about wearing my seatbelt. I heard one story that scared the shit out of me about some guy dying that shouldn't have, not a single piece of broken glass on a machine, flipped it, um, and should have been going home to his 
you know, family and uh, didn't because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. That was enough for me. I'm wearing my seatbelt nonstop yeah. every single every time. time. Every single time. And I just, uh, you know, it just paid off for me when I just rolled that machine. Yeah. Because if I wasn't wearing my seatbelt, I would have been hurting. I would have been hurt. Cool. Uh, well, Thomas, thanks for reaching out, man. Um, and congrats on the promotion to Foreman. Okay, this is a question from Daniel, Birmingham, Alabama. I'm going to read a little bit of background because I think it's just stuff we want to hear. Um, it says, first off, I can't thank you guys enough for what you're doing. I've been working in, the, in this industry for four years in Mississippi and Alabama and almost quit because of frustration with employers. And I thought all contractors treated employees poorly because of my experience. Stumbled upon BuildWit, I think through a Let's Dig video, and my whole perception of the industry has changed. Hear that, Chris? <laughs> so many exciting things going on in the industry that I had no idea existed. Had it not been for you guys, I'm not sure I would have stuck with it. I'm now very excited to prove my friends wrong who told me I couldn't make a living, quote-unquote, digging holes. My question is this. I think two of the most inhibiting factors for younger people like myself getting into the dirt world are the fact that many civil contractors work at least six days a week, mostly seven and 12 to 15 hour days, and then lay people off in the winter slash don't provide hours for employees when it rains. I understand this is from a company's perspective as well as in that if it's raining or snowing and you can't work, then you're not making money. So it's tough to pay labor. In your experience, what do contractors do to keep people working in rainy months? And how do they make work weeks shorter while still staying efficient? I... The good contractors, they try to create opportunities to retain people and get work during winter months to keep the people that want to stay busy, busy. That's reality. I think there's a lot of contractors that just accept like, hey, nope, we just lay everybody off. That just is how it is or is what it is. People like it. Not everybody likes it. People want to work year round. And I think the really solid contractors, they they actually deliberately bid work to find jobs that they know they can work in winter. A lot of times they adjust their work to accommodate people in the winter mm -hmm. or they have programs in the winter where instead of working their training or they're doing a lot of maintenance and your job looks a little bit different. Maybe you're a pipe layer in the summer, but you're helping to maintain the dump truck fleet in the winter. Um, Southern site has a really, really good program where they have a rain day program. Yeah. So instead of, of bonuses, they basically take the money you'd get at the, at the end of the year and even it out through the year because they, they recognize that people, they want consistent income. That's very important, especially when you have bills and, and people uh, to support. So uh, if you have two rain days, you'll get paid for those days. You have an allotment of rain days. I think there's like 30 days in a year. Yeah. And if you if you're rained out, you use one of those rain days, so you still get paid. And if you if you go the entire year without using uh, all of the rain days, then you get paid out in a bonus, whatever you didn't use. They're evening out people's paychecks, um, while still in theory paying people what they would be n normally. Well, and that makes a lot of sense in Tennessee, where it does rain a lot. But also it rains a lot in a way that you can't work in it. Yeah. You know, so they got... Correct. It, be, it behooves them to have a plan like that. Correct. Yeah, but even in Tennessee, you can still strategically bid some work that you can do when it's wet. 
and and I and I know it's not it's not perfect, but I think the best companies they try to keep their people working as much as they can, as mm-hmm. consistently as they can. They don't accept that weather is just a reality or winter is just a reality or sorry, we didn't pay you for five days because it was raining. Oh, well, they're, they're making it their responsibility to care for their people. However, they can, there are companies out there that make it work pretty damn well. I've seen it. Yeah. They're not the majority, but they're the majority of the companies we work with for damn sure. Oh yeah. Or, um, you know, like I'll know, uh, you know, like Rosso, for example, when, when, COVID looked a, a little wonky and they had a lot of commercial work get paused beginning of, of last year. Dylan was like, I'm not letting anybody go. So he was paying guys to, you know, sweep wherever they could find, do work that wasn't really real work that mm-hmm. they were getting paid for just to retain those people and care for those people because the work was going to come back. And when it did, they, they needed those people needed there. Those people. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I said it on the last podcast and I, I'm going to start beating on the drum a little bit more. I am more than okay with, with, uh, encouraging people to leave bad companies and go to good companies because that's what this, that's what needs to happen in the industry. Like I said, people need to feel pain. These companies need to feel pain or else they're not going to change. They're feeling pain from a labor perspective right now. They're starting to feel it even more. The companies that are treating their people right, they're not going to have that labor problem. They're going to be able to absorb those people from those bad companies and they're going to grow and take that market share and the market in theory will correct itself. Mm-hmm. And those bad companies will either figure it out through feeling that pain and missing deadlines or they will just go away. I'm okay with either one. I'm okay with either one. It sure. needs to happen. And I'm starting to get a little, a little tired of the same conversation, same labor conversation over and over and over again. So is it a, is it like a one size fits all solution? No, but I think there are a lot of companies out there that sincerely care for their people and sincerely are trying to even out the reality that we work outside, we deal with the elements, there is winter, but at the same time, that doesn't mean people can just not get paid for three months, you know? Yeah. Um, so hopefully that's, that's helpful. I mean, those were some examples and, 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 you know, there's a lot of people that do want to get laid off for three months and go ice fishing, like in Minnesota or wherever snowmobiling. Cool. Like there's that group, but there's also this other group that doesn't want to get laid off. They want to go ice fishing. You keep making money. Yeah. Yeah. Go ice fishing for two weeks around Christmas. But otherwise, like I want to work more. Let's go. And some companies too. I mean, like some companies, for example, they'll plow snow in the winter. Yeah. They'll, they won't make any money, but they'll at least keep their operators busy. Cool. That's them caring for their people. That's another opportunity. So the, the, I think that's the difference is the companies that really, really care for giving their people what they need, seek those other opportunities that might not be great for the company every single time, but are, are good enough for their people and for giving their people what they need through winter months, wet months. Well, you know, and I that sort of a, approach, I think, is very much like in line with, you know, our mission to make the dirt world a better place. You know, like they're actively like taking care of their people, 
because it's like the right thing to do and it it makes their company better. You know, like if, if they're having to, you know, go hire like a brand new workforce, if they had to, you know, lay off a bunch of people that for the, for you know, for a long winter, what, what's to say a lot of those people don't get picked up by another company who can pay them through the layoff. Sure. You know, like obviously not everybody would do that, but like at some point that like hurts a business. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I think it's interesting, you know, the, the companies that do have, you know, these different programs or different ways that they handle kind of that off season or whatever in order to serve their people. I think that's fascinating. Well, and you're not going to, as a, as a contractor, you're not going to be able to afford to lay people off anymore. Yeah. You're going to need to retain those people because like you just said, they might not come back because other people are going to be figuring out how to retain them if they want to be retained. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're just, you're not going to have that option. You're going to have to be more disciplined when it comes to labor and caring for people as a contractor, or you're not going to be a contractor much longer. I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's where, well, that's where things are going. People ask my opinion. What do you see? That's what I see. That's what you're seeing. That's what I see. Yep. Well, you, you know, it's like we've said many times we're a couple of jabronis just talking. That's it. But you and a lot of people in our company see a shit ton of job sites. We see a lot of job to sites. a lot of different companies. But look at, look at the questions you're getting on the podcast. From, from people out in the field, what are, what are they thinking about? What are they worried about? What are, the, what, are, what are they asking about? What do they want? They want to be cared for. They want to work for great companies. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it, don't take it for us. Just even look at the questions we get. That's, I should, where the, that's where the temperature's at. I should do some sort of, I should go through all of the emails we've gotten in the past year and like come up with like the most asked um, kinds of questions because it, they're basically what we read today. That's it, man. That's it. That's the temperature of the industry. Everybody, sure, there are some bitter assholes out there and this and that. Most people, they like working here. Most people, they want to make a career here. Most people, they want to be cared for and appreciated and make the dirt world a better place alongside us. I think that's where most people are at, at least this next generation, you know? And I speak on their behalf because, sure, older generation, appreciate them. They have more knowledge than I'll ever have in my lifetime. They've, they've got the industry here, but also they're not the future. You know, they, they have a limited amount of time left here and we need to transition succession plan and look to the future and the future wants something a little bit different and that's okay. We're not saying, and and the future is not saying I want to work less and work less hard, but they are saying I want to, I want a consistent paycheck. I might, you know, I want, I want to see my daughter a little bit more. I think those are pretty reasonable things to ask for. Yeah. I think, I think that is pretty reasonable. And if it's not, then maybe I am, I am, a, a you know, a misguided moron, but I don't think that's all that crazy. I'm with you. I mean, th- those are the kinds of questions we get all the time. And if it's not like those are questions from people who are trying to, who are not in the industry, but are like, you know, have a friend who's in it. These are people like literal boots on the ground. And if that's what they're thinking about, like it's probably likely that a lot of other people are having that same conversation. I'm privy to a lot of those conversations. I know what kind of conversations. Yep. Cool. Cool. Well, Daniel, thanks for reaching out, man. Um, And thanks for the kind words. I think that is a podcast, my guy. Super. 
Um, thanks for the questions, guys. If you have questions or thoughts for us, send them off to dirttalk at buildwit.com. If you have random stuff to send us, hats, stickers, shirts, whatever you want, send it to buildwit1200, or no, whoa, 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 shoot, 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 shoot. 1400 Adams Street, number 202, Nashville, Tennessee, 3720. There you go. And with that, we'll see you on the next episode of Dirt Talk. Stay dirty, everybody. Thanks, y'all.